Uh, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome to, you're listening to Seahawks Weekly. We're live here at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. And right now, joining us right here on stage, wide receiver for your Seattle Seahawks. Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett. <laughs> your hairline is way better, man. Oh, Thank oh, you. did Thank you? you? But we we both have hair issues, so you know. Would you talk, would you would you agree that Tyler Lockett is the best wide receiver on the oh, team? Oh, that hurts. <laughs> no, that would be Mike Davis. Oh no, but he let it go. He 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 got rid of it. Mike Davis. He, he had no choice. But you know he he he's talking about trying to grow it back. So we'll see what happens. Oh please don't. Well, whatever it takes for him to get out there and do well, he can grow it out. Whatever. Doug Doug Ball, how you doing, man? Tired. You tired? Oh. I'm tired. You want to talk about the Thursday night game, so let's do that. <laughs> Thursday night happened. You guys won the game, of course. You, you had a break since then, but uh, how's the team doing since that game happened? Uh, well, there's two sides of the coin. Uh, all of you guys know we obviously lost a uh, significant player on the defensive side of the ball, possibly more. Um, you know, it's been a, a trying time for us because of the injuries that have been piling up. Uh, but then mentally coming back from a Thursday night game or going into a Thursday night game after a normal Sunday and then trying to bounce back as quickly as possible to get back to this Monday game. But then on top of that, when we come out of the Monday game, we have a shortened week again because it's a, we're going to a Sunday. So uh, we're trying the best we can. You know, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a, a struggle the past couple of weeks. But uh, mentally and physically, we're going to try our best to get, get right. How are you feeling, Doug? Tired. <laughs> I think you mentioned that earlier. I did. I did. Come on, eventually you catch up, though, right? Eventually. Um, it's a struggle because, you know, we, we wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and then I don't leave the facility until about 6.30, so it's a struggle. But uh, I'll figure it out. Well, how do you figure it out? How do you get through those times that you're tired? I know you just don't say, I'm just tired. What does Doug Baldwin do when he's tired? To be, not be tired. Well, okay, let, let's be real. I'm complaining a little bit, obviously, right? Uh, I'm being a little, little bit of a baby. But uh, it's because of the Thursday night game, coming back from the Sunday game, obviously. We, we're trying to catch up. But um, what do I do? I find moments in meetings where I can doze off for a little bit. <laughs> just joking, just joking. I don't, I don't ever do that. I've never done that before. No, you uh, get hit in the head by an eraser <laughs> in the old days for doing no, that. No, I mean, honestly, you just suck it up. And once we get through this, 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 tough, uh, this tough part of the season, then we'll be fine. Doug, it used to be we'd talk about the Seahawks aren't a passing team. You're only going to get so many opportunities when you're a wide receiver. And it's not like the opportunities are overflowing now. Yeah. The, the offense yes, has it changed, is. though. <laughs> the offense has changed, though. How do you? How would you describe the evolution of what's happened on your guys' offense? Well, we've obviously had struggles running the ball, uh, and that's always been our main identity. We always wanted to to force the, the the run game because it allows us to control the clock and allow our defense to do what it does, stifling the offense and 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 preventing the other offense from scoring points. Uh, obviously, we've had our struggles with that, uh, so we've had to 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 lend ourselves more to the passing game, which as a receiver, I'm not too upset about. Obviously, I'd like to, to control the game because we usually have more success winning the game in that fashion, but I'm not mad at getting more attempts. Uh, but we take it in stride. You know, it's, I think the, that's the biggest thing is that the running game hasn't been there as consistently as we'd like it to be, and uh, we've had to pass a little bit more. Take us back Thursday night game. Russell scrambles, 
find you on that 54-yard pass. Can you please take us from start to finish of that play? Yeah, first I could tell you he didn't find me. I know he tells y'all that oh, I knew where Doug was. No, he didn't. He wants to make it look nice. He was, that was a wish and a prayer. You know what I said about that play? That he threw the ball to you when you were the least open. <laughs> <laughs> Is that accurate? No, it was accurate. Um, I mean, obviously, Russell back there doing his magic, making guys miss. Um, and, you know, he, he says he was, he was throwing it to me. I, I personally think he was trying to throw it out of bounds. But, you know, <laughs> we'll never know. There, there'll be no way of knowing. That was uh, perfectly executed throw perfectly by him. Perfectly executed. It was. But, you know, I, I was able to make a play on the ball. Uh, 54 yards later, we were in scoring range. You know, the, the running game, and I was just looking at your attempts, and one of the things I've always talked about with you, which I hate doing all the math on it, because I can't do all the math for every receiver in the NFL, but your target-to-catch ratio has always been tops, tops. But one of the things I found out, 2012, 49 targets in 2012 for you. 2016, 126. Are we happy? If we're winning. Yeah. You know, obviously that's got to go hand in hand. Yes. Uh, you know, I've been saying this for a number of years. A lot of the receivers that come through uh, in Seattle are very efficient receivers. We just don't see the number of targets. But when we see the number of targets that some of these top-tier receivers see, then you'll see us have 1,000 yards, have multiple touchdown years. Um, you know, it, that's what happens, especially with receivers here in Seattle. So uh, I think that's what I'm more proud of is the efficiency that we've shown that we're capable of consistently. Yeah. Uh, more so than just the numbers and the statistics themselves. Well, and that's the thing about you guys. I mean, you've always taken advantage, you particularly. The other thing is, used to be a running team much more. You're a good blocker. I mean, you've got to take a lot of pride, because I always talk to Sherm about that. Like, he's a very good tackler. You consider yourself a good blocker? You take a lot of pride in that? I take a lot of pride in it. I wouldn't say I'm good. Not yet. I'm working on it. Uh, you have high standards, though. True, but... Honestly, I think I, I'm, I'm working on being better. And, and I've been called upon in our offense to do a lot of the blocking scheme for receivers just because I've had the most experience at it. Uh, and I want to be better at it. I think I can help the team, uh, you know, in that capacity. So I'm going to continue to work on it. You've been here since 2011. Yes, sir. I'm a, old. A veteran? No, you're not old. You're, you're a veteran voice. Football years, I am. Do, 58, 57 in football years. How do you determine football years? You double it and then minus one. <laughs> double it and minus one. You just learned something, everybody. How do you keep the same amount of urgency? You guys have had success as a team. How do you keep that level of urgency as guys remain in the program and develop on in their careers? Honestly, it's a challenge. You've got a lot of guys in that locker room who have had success for a number of years, uh, have li really little, little left to prove. Uh, but for us, I think what's the beautiful thing about the Seattle Seahawks is we've cultivated an environment that you're going to compete. Whether you are uh, an undrafted free agent, you're the first-round draft pick, you've been there for 15 years, you've been there for, for two years, you're going to compete. And you're going to compete at a high level. And there's going to be a guy next to you who's who might be younger, who might be faster, might be stronger, who's going to push you to be better. And that's the way we look at it. You know, it's not necessarily competing against our opponent. We're competing against each other to be the best that we can be. And when you have an environment like that, uh, it's really hard to get lackadaisical and, and, and not compete in that, in that regard. So 
the urgency has always been there. And when we go out on the field, you know, hopefully it's, uh, it translates. We're joined here by Doug Baldwin here on Seahawks Weekly at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. Doug, he mentioned 2011. You mentioned 57 years old in football years. That's actually you've played right now 81 consecutive games that you play right now, which is fantastic. If somebody would have told you that back then that right now you would have two back-to-back 90 reception seasons, what would you say to that? How long ago is this? Were you gonna ask me? If I'd have said it, if I'd have said this back this in 2012, 11, 2011, 12, his, his frontal cortex wasn't developed then. I, it wasn't. <laughs> I would have, I would have said, I don't believe you. Really? Yeah. How do you? I mean, what's? Well, why would you not believe me? Because I, at that time, I, I never envisioned our offense sharing the ball enough for any run receiver to have 90 receptions. Why does the offense share the ball more now? Because we have to. We've been forced, like I said, the run game hasn't been where it's been um, consistently. Going back to last year, I, the year before as well, when uh, Marshawn was, was not as healthy, um, we were forced to, to, to pass the ball around. And, uh, again, like I said, you have receivers who are extremely efficient, so when we have our opportunities, more times than not, we come down with it. Can this offense continue to, to thrive with the run game where it is right now? I think we have no choice, to be honest with you. Uh, I do believe that we have the tools and the weapons. It's going to come down to our quarterback, to the offensive line, to the receivers, to the running backs, all of us tight ends, all of us putting it together and executing the details. You know, yes, I, I know we've, we've had success in the past. We're right, second right now in the league for passing yards. However, there's a lot of details that we've been missing, specific, uh, specifically on third down and in the red zone. And if, we, if we're not consistent in those things, also, with the fact, pairing with the fact that we have injuries on our defensive side of the ball, um, you know, we could be in some trouble. But uh, I say that with the caveat of, of trying to encourage our guys to realize that we have an opportunity that we have to capitalize on offensively. Doug, we talked to Nate Boyer today about, uh, about the, you know, the anthem protests and things like that. I think you've been in a really Hold good... Hold on, i got to correct you. First off, it's not the anthem protest. Nobody's protesting the anthem. I'm sorry. It is How do you want to word it? inequality and the protest against inequality and injustice that ha- actually happens during the, the, the biggest stage that we have, which is the, the, the anthem. Yeah, and so when I was talking to, no, I'm glad you put it the way that you want it to because you don't want people putting it the way right. they want to. But we talked to Nate Boyer today, and he, I just hear from him, and the same thing I hear from you is there's a lot of understanding. And I think that's the one thing that, like, bridges the gap the most because you were talking, I think it was after the Tennessee game, you said, Look, people that have military families, I understand. And I think that that was an important thing to do. Have you, have you talked to, first of all, Nate Boyer at all about that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, I've talked and, to Nate. And tell, take us through kind of how you've tried to, because I think you're the guy who has done the best job of sort of explaining the whole thing and what it's about. Well, I appreciate you saying that, but my biggest um, message to anybody who's been engaging with what myself and other players around the league have been doing and, and trying to, uh, to push is just be empathetic. You know, I, I know that when people see the flag, there's this sense of emotion that comes about, and that is for me too. My grandfather uh, entered into the Air Force when he was 17 years old. Both of my grandparents and my grandfather uh, were in the military. My mom spent four years in the, in the Army Reserve. So I have some connection to the military. Um, so, you know, for me, it's, a, it's the same thing. When I see the flag, I, I have a sense of, of honor and respect that comes about that. However, I'm not um, 
I'm not too afraid and, and, and uncurious to engage with the other side of it, thinking that, okay, if, if this flag was to represent our country in terms of uh, liberty and justice for all and equal rights and, and what the flag supposedly stands for in some context, then it also has to stand for people using those rights. And one of those rights is, is freedom of speech. Right. And so Nate Boyer and I have gone back and forth on that, obviously, and, and a lot of people that I've had conversations with, um, you know, that, that's been understood. And so for me, it was basically just trying to get to the empathetic part of understanding both sides of the coin, both opinions, both sides of, of you know, respect, disrespect, or whatever it may be, um, and really, I guess, appreciating that opinion. And not, you know, not saying that it's the wrong one, just saying it's right. However, there's another, there's another right as well. I really admire the way, Doug, that you've taken steps and talked about issues that in previous generations or previous times athletes have chosen not to, whether it's tactics of de-escalation among police officers and those sort of things. How has that, what's that process been like for you? Because you make yourself vulnerable when you do that. You open yourself up to criticism. Becoming someone who talks about those issues, what's that process been like for you? It's been, a, honestly, it's been beautiful. And I say beautiful because it's forced me to actually question who I am as a man. Uh, really kind of build this foundation of who I want to be as a man, and not only as a man now, but as a man in the future, for my wife, for my future kids. Um, and being vulnerable in that, in that sense has made me be vulnerable to other parts of my life. Uh, and so I've grown a lot in terms of being empathetic, being able to listen and understand different points of view, views. And um, it's been a challenge at times, obviously, but uh, I've learned a lot in the past year and a half. Just, you know, yes, dealing with all of this stuff, but more so just about who I am as a man and what I stand for. 2017, you've talked about what you have learned over a year and a half, and especially in particular this year. This year you've gotten married. This year, you, um, I'm, I'm really uh, sorry about the passing of your grandfather. Outside of football, what has 2017 meant to you? Oh, man, that's a uh, loaded question. Um, obviously, the passing of my grandfather, uh, it took me on, on this journey of trying to figure out how I fit into the bigger picture of life. Um, my grandfather was the first person I lost that uh, I knew for a fact that genuinely loved me unconditionally. Uh, and I think, you know, for a lot of people that I've witnessed go, go through similar situations, I don't think they really engage with that emotion and that pain, um, that struggle. Uh, for me, you know, I, I got to the point where I started questioning, okay, what is the point of life? And my grandfather, who I love so dearly, you know, I don't get to see him anymore. And so it brought me to these two different emotions of, of hope and fear. Fear being, okay, if, if, if this is it, then I never get to see my grandfather again, you know, then what's the point? And then, it, it, you know, I, I don't want to go down that path, so I go to hope where, you know, I believe that there's something greater that, uh, you know, when I'm done in this life, that I'll get to see my grandfather again and he won't be in pain. He won't be struggling with, with all the medical issues that he had to deal with. Uh, that we'll, we'll see each other again and, and be, you know, and happy. And I know that's, you know, that, that might be a little bit too fluffy for some people, but that's what my heart believes in, and that's where I stand as a man. And I know that uh, the stories that I've been told growing up and, and 
the, the way that my mom and my dad raised me and wanted me to be as a man, it just reaffirmed that. And so uh, for me, it's all about this year has been about coming back to my roots, really figuring out what those roots truly are uh, and, and building the foundation for my future family. You know what I love about you, Doug? You remind me a lot of my brother who also, he was a defensive tackle at Stanford. We got a chance to play together. There's never small talk. With my brother, never small talk. With you, never small talk. Everything is always pretty meaningful. And one of the things I know that is the most meaningful in your life, you got married. Tell us about the difference, because I know for me it was like, it didn't matter. Once I crossed the threshold in my home, it did not matter. And then once I started having kids, it didn't matter whether I had a bad practice or not. Tell us about uh, the, the effect that that's had for you. It's been... It's been life-changing, obviously, anybody who gets married. It should be a life-changing uh, moment for you. Uh, for me, you know, obviously, we had been dating for a while, and then once we made that transition to being married, I, I started viewing my wife differently. You know, it's like, okay, this is my wife. She sees who I am fully. You know, I'm, I'm visible to her. Every, every flaw, every bad part about me, and she still chose to choose me. She, she still chose me to, right. to, to be my wife. Uh, you know, I don't take that lightly and I don't take that for granted. She's obviously, uh, she's gone through a lot with me personally, but also with football and, and, and the sacrifices that she's had to make, make for that. Uh, you know, it, it, makes you, it makes you really realize how, first and foremost, how selfish you are in life, but then secondarily, how unselfish you want to be for somebody who you genuinely know unconditionally loves you. For me, when I got married, I just thought, that's going to make it a lot harder for her to dump me. <laughs> just got a lot more complicated. And yeah, I was like, half. thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> that's what I thought. No, but to go back to kind of where you guys are now and maybe switch it back a little bit to football, we've seen your team be able to get on rolls. I think the first time I remember it, 2012, your second year. What happened that final month of the season? And we've seen it in other seasons. What happens when you guys turn a corner like that and all of a sudden, because it really is, light switch makes it seem like it's something you can choose to do or not, and I know it's not that easy. But what happens when you guys get on one of those roles? I think it's when players finally come together and realize that they have to take ownership and accountability for the team itself, not the coaches, uh, not the ownership, not the fans, it's the players, you know, and it, it, takes, it takes a while for whatever reason, it takes a while. We, as players, we kind of lend on the coaches and say, okay, this, you know, if we're not doing well, it's the coach's fault, or the coaches may say it's the player's fault. But eventually we come together and we realize, okay, if we're going to make this happen, we have to make it happen, and we have to take ownership of it. And it's been a process, especially this year, because we've had a lot of turnover, a lot of younger guys who haven't really been through um, the issues that the, the older players have gone through, the struggles that we've gone through, you know, and, and Pete has done a phenomenal job of keeping us uh, together in that regard, but uh, I think the changes that have happened are us just taking ownership, whether it be the offense, the defense, the special teams, and saying, okay, we're going to go out here and do this together. Every Seahawks Weekly, one of the last questions I ask is if Doug Baldwin right now had a paper and pen, and he was to write a letter to Doug Baldwin of 2011, the same guy that walked into the facility right after the lockout, undrafted free agent, trying to make this Seahawks team, different pair of Jordans though, but anyways, trying to make this team. 
what would that Doug write to the Doug of 2011? Dear Doug, you're going to screw it up. You're going to screw it up more times than, than you care to remember. But the times that you screw it up, they're going to teach you some valuable lessons. And don't take those lessons for granted. Oh, hold on. You're become one of the best wide receivers in the NFL after being undrafted. And the letter you'll write to yourself is about the times you messed up. Absolutely. Yeah. You know why? I can relate. He's a tormented soul. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think that a lot of football players are that way. If I think back on my freshman year at Purdue, I dropped a pick six that Jim Everett threw me. I could have walked into the end zone. If you ask me to think back about my football career, that's what I would think about. That's, that's what I would think about. And I think that that's just sort of, it's sort of the, the cross you bear as, as, a, as an NFL player that, yes, I played in the days when Jim Everett played. Gee, no, I know you're getting ready to ask me that. No, I wasn't we did have face masks. But I thought it was, I think, I think it's interesting because I both, both Danny and I, we never played at you guys' level. But you think. I just never played. Uh, okay. <laughs> but you think back to the bad times when you look back? When you, well, when you write that letter, you think I would, about, I would say the... You don't the, think about the Super Bowl? Well, it's not, it's not just football, though. It's life in general. Right. You know, I've had so many mess-ups off the field that, you know, could have sent me in the, in the wrong direction. But fortunately enough, I was able to use those as lessons to better to correct myself and be a, become a better man. But in terms of football, yeah. I mean, I remember so vividly dropping a pass against Arizona State uh, my junior season. That was, like, that was the last pass I got that, that year. Uh, you know, you remember this negative thing. If you ask me, do, do I remember the Super Bowl catch, the touchdowns in the Super Bowl? No, I can't vividly remember them. I remember, you know, watching it on TV, watching the highlights, right. but in the moment, I don't remember it. But if you would ask me about the drop catch in Arizona, yeah, I remember that one vividly. But it's, like, it's not like it makes your life so negative or anything like that. It's just that, you know, that's kind of how you are as a player, and that's what actually motivate you to do better to do better and look at you you're wearing a, a sweatshirt that says und and i thought what university of notre dame what is that undrafted undrafted see i thought it was unbelievable un undefeated well it is undefeated but i've rebranded it <laughs> <laughs> undrafted that, that's Difficult. unbelievable because I, I honestly i i'm saying this without being the bias obviously stanford guy you're the best route runner in the league the best receiver I would take. I'm looking at your like catch ratio, 75% typically, and so. It, but but that's what's cool about it. Like, you might at the end of your career look back and go, "I'm glad I wasn't drafted as a first rounder because Absolutely. because that's that's what made you." Well, Doug, we really appreciate you jumping on with us. All the best of luck to you on Sunday. You're all right as a receiver. It's on Monday. It's on, Monday. <laughs> on Monday. On Monday. My man, Monday Night Football. Looking forward to that. Always on point. He, he had it always on point. Gotta be. Gotta really be. appreciate Doug Baldwin <laughs> for joining us. Really appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Coming up next, we got Max Strong. He's going to join us. You listen to Seahawks Weekly. Monday. Monday. Welcome back, everybody, to Seahawks Weekly. We're right here at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. Big thank you to our sponsors, Harrison Stillings, Bastard number 12, Baca, Legendary Donuts, and, of course, Muckleshoot, Bingo. And Doug Baldwin was here, and 
that was fun. That was fun, guys, really was. But we'll recap that in a second because we don't want somebody to get mad at us and rude. Max Strong, Seattle Seahawks, former fullback. How you doing, my man? I'm doing great, man. How you guys doing there? You guys have to realize, Mac doesn't have feelings. He's a fullback. You're not going to hurt Mac's feelings. Man, <laughs> Mac does have feelings. He's old school. Man. He does not get hurt feelings. <laughs> I just rubbed some red clay on it, fellas. <laughs> All right, Mac, I ask you the same thing every time, and I'm going to ask you again. What's going on with that run game for the Seahawks? Man, I, I wish I knew. <laughs> I'm running out of things to say. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I mean, obviously, it's uh, it's a concern. It's something that they they need to fix in a hurry. Um, I mean, you can't continue to keep having. I think your franchise quarterback be the leading rusher, you know, in the game, and uh, I mean, they put a, putting a lot of pressure on Russell Wilson, um, you know, to win these football games. Not not, not only with his arm, but now with his legs and things. So. Uh, well, I still, <clears throat> I still believe they have, you know, guys in the backfield that can get it done. They've got guys up front, you know, um, that can get it done. I mean, they, this is still a, a work in progress. It has been all year long. At some point in time, though, it's got to come together. you got to start seeing some signs and some glimpses of, like, these guys are about to turn the corner. And, unfortunately, um, we just haven't seen a lot of that right now. Well, let me ask you this, Mac, just philosophically. You talk about we can't put that much pressure on, on Russell Wilson. We're relying on him too much. Why? Why not? Why can't we? Why can't we just, you know, hey, go with it, man. You're an MVP candidate. Run the ball. Throw it. Let's just get every last penny out of that $25 million that we're paying you. <laughs> well, you can, you can, we can keep going that route, but he's not. this is not a Cam Newton guy. I mean, he's, he's not 6'5", 250 pounds. Yeah. You know, running like a freight train. This is a diminutive guy that, uh, I mean, he's tough. I mean, he's tough as nails, tough as anybody else in the league. But body-wise, I just don't think he can continue to uh, keep taking the type of pounding that he's taking. I mean, you saw, you know, the other night, I know there's been a lot of scrutiny about, um, you know, the whole uh, concussion protocol and going in a tent and that kind of stuff. I, I, you, you're going to see that, you know, more and more if he has to keep, at the end of the game in particular, scrambling for his life and trying to make something happen. And somebody, uh, you know, sooner or later is going to get a good lick on it. He's going to be out of the game. I mean, just imagine what what, what a game would be like without him in there. Um, that's the reason why I said I just feel like he, he, I don't think he has the body type that can take the type of pounding that, say, you know, a Cam Newton can take. I mean, that's kind of his thing, his part of his repertoire and what makes him who he is. That's not necessarily Russell Wilson. He, he's opportunistic in his running and you know, making making guys miss and getting downfield and getting out of bounds. Like he's getting a lot smarter with how he runs, sliding, and all that kind of stuff. But if we just keep, I don't know. It's, to me, it's like rolling the dice. Sooner or later, I think you're going to come up snake eyes, and you know, you end up getting a guy hurt and he's going to miss some games, and that that will really set the team back. It sure would. On the other side of the ball, Mac. We've gotten used to Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor kind of being the bedrock of this defense. We know Sherman's going to be out. He suffered the torn Achilles. We don't know if Cam Chancellor's going to be back. And actually, it sounds like I think we'd all be surprised if he's able to play on Monday. How is that going to change this defense if they don't have Sherman for the rest of the season and might be missing Cam Chancellor here in the near future? Well, I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, we've always been able to just rely on, you know, one side of the field been taken care of. I I'm sure 
you know, uh, for Chris Richard, uh, you know, before him, you know, just uh, all the different guys, uh, Gus Bradley and, and um, you know, just all the different coordinators they've had. I mean, what a luxury it is to have a shutdown corner. I mean, I don't know if there's been a, a, a guy in the league, another corner in the league that's had the type of impact on this team for the last four or five years that Richard Sherman has had. Um, you just look at his stats. You look at what he brings to the table. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, even, you know, when they were playing Green Bay in the opener, uh, I think in 2014, no, 2015, like uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Aaron Rodgers, didn't even throw in his direction. I mean, so that's that's what we're losing. <laughs> you know, that's what we're losing. Over. We're losing a guy that quarterbacks, you know, fear. And, and they know that if they if they, they throw the ball over there, they're taking a the risk that something bad could happen. And now you're not going to have that in there. And I don't know if there's another guy – you know, on the roster at that position that has the skill set that Richard Sherman does. So that's, that's to me, that's a, that's a big loss. That, that would be like losing, you know, Russell Wilson on offense. We're going we're gonna to see what this defense is all about. I mean, I think it's going to put a lot of pressure. Guys up front, they've got to get to the quarterback. They've got to, and they're good at that. Um, the offensive, uh, being the defensive line, the linebackers, they're going to have to, I think, maybe they'll have to rely a little bit more on the blitz game um, just because, you're not going to necessarily be able to have a guy back there that can cover people for long periods of time. And then and then you look at a, a Cam Chancellor, you think of talking about the force on the defense, got it set the tone, you know, back into the, the defense, making putting fear in receivers' hearts to run those crossing routes. Without him in there now and, and without Sherman, I think guys, people, teams are going to feel a little bit more comfortable just to be able to throw the football. And that's been something that I think has been, um, I think, a, 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 definitely a benefit for Seattle in the past. Mac, Richard Sherman, obviously, he's he would, would be considered an emotional leader for sure, both on and off the field. Can you think or remember a time that you lost uh, maybe an emotional leader for the season on one of your teams in the past? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think times when we lost, I remember when we lost Ricky Waters, um, you know, back in, uh, I believe it was 2000. Um, you know, definitely the emotional leader of our team, and he, he went down with a uh, sprained ankle or broken ankle or something like that. He was he was just one of those guys that you know just just kind of got it done. And um, you know, in came a, uh, a young running back by the name of Sean Alexander. Obviously, we all know what kind of career he had there in Seattle. But uh, so you never know. Um, you know, it, somebody else's one guy's loss is another guy's opportunity, and you get your moment when you have the opportunity to get in there. But yeah. It, it says something when you lose a guy that, you know, is very vocal in the locker room, vocal out on the field, demonstrative with his emotions. Because the team feeds off of that a lot. Uh, but they got enough guys on that defense, defensive side, that feel, you know, they have a lot of pride. You know, they, I think they're going to have Earl Thomas back. You know, certainly you got those guys up front, Bobby Wagner, uh, K.J. Wright. Um, you know, you got Michael Bennett. These, these are guys that obviously played in Super Bowls been a part of you know this winning tradition for the last you know during the Pete Carroll era and so these guys are not going to go down easy they're going to know that uh, they got to step up to the plate from a leadership standpoint to help this team play at a high level I'll tell you about a a leader going down Max Strong 2007 yeah (laughs) yeah I I was thinking that too well yep that was the year you get toward the end of the year and Mike Holmgren declared we just can't run the ball ball. anymore sure was we're just going to start throwing it because there's no Max Strong there (laughs) exactly right Hey, Mac, let me ask you, a fellow old school guy, how about these celebrations in the end zone? Are you for them? Oh, man. 
What do you, what do you, you say? One with Pittsburgh a few, bit, few minutes ago. The, no, what, what did when, they do? What, what were they doing there? <laughs> I don't know, man. They got two guys on the end throwing the ball back and forth, and the guy in the middle like acting like he can't get to it. I'm oh, <laughs> they're playing monkey in the middle. Yeah, the monkey in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you, man, this is, this is kind of ridiculous. But, you know, um, you know, kudos to the NFL for allowing that stuff back in. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a part of the game. I think for, I think for the current player, you and I, Dave, we didn't do that stuff. Obviously, <laughs> I didn't touch the ball enough or get in the end zone enough to even come up with any kind of dance. I just felt like, man, that, that's such a rarity. But for these yeah. guys that, you know, really, uh, I mean, for this generation, um, I mean, it's, it's a big part of the game for them to be able to show their emotion and celebrate. Um, so it's good for the game. Fans love it. Uh, we think it's kind of silly, but what do we know? We're crusty hey. old, you know, former players. So. I mean, it's it been it. tough for you guys because the, the, when you guys played, the goal post was on the goal line, right? Oh, stop it. Stop it. Usually I make that joke for Mac. You know what? When I scored the one time I got in the in the end zone, Mac, they said, "Act like you've been there before." I was like, I, "I've never been here before," and so I'm going to act like a jackass because uh, I'm never be here again. So, but no, I like them, man. Actually, I'm old school, but I, I like some of these celebrations. I think it's kind of funny. You see these guys; they're making millions of dollars. They're supposedly grown men, and uh, they're acting like fools out there. It's kind of funny. Well, Mac, man, they we really love pre- the game, man, and, and that's yeah. not, I mean, nobody could ever fall through for that. That's yeah, no doubt I like about that. It. Well, Mac, like that. we really appreciate you uh, taking the time to jump on with us, and uh, we won't talk to you next Thursday because that's uh, Turkey Day, my man. So we'll talk yeah, to you yep. the Thursday after that, bro. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys, man. Have a great time. Happy you too, Thanksgiving, Mac. Mac. That's Mac Strong, former Seattle Seahawks fullback, joining us here on Seahawks Weekly. Up next, we give our game predictions, and there's something that better happen on Monday, or I think it's going to be trouble, trouble. We talk about that next. It's Seahawks Weekly. Uh, Welcome back to Seahawks Weekly. It's been a fun show. Doug Baldwin stopped by. Is there ever a time that you're disappointed after talking to Doug, guys? Ever. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes because he makes things seem kind of painful and difficult. But I love Doug. <laughs> I, I've, he's been one of my favorite athletes. Oh, I just, the thing I love about him is that uh, there's never any small talk. Everything is meaningful with him. Everything. And, yeah, that's, he's a very serious guy. I love that about him. You know, you're not going to talk about the weather with Doug Baldwin. <laughs> you're not going to chit-chat about, about, you know, things. Uh, you know? So, yeah, it's good. Always good. What? Speaking of that, how come when folks get older? That's like the first thing they talked about. My weather? dad, my dad would just, that was the first thing out of his mouth was the weather. Are you getting weather, that way, Dave? Weather is fascinating to people. I've sworn that I will never get that way but i talked to rabel and he's like oh my gosh the most the number one rated part of cairo news or whatever is the weather i think it's fascinating to people because you can't control it and it's mother nature and i don't i don't know what it is but you always hear those stories about old men sitting around talking about the weather i don't know why that is i won't do it though i'm going to resist also i will not mention about how i feel physically i promise you that if i start telling you about my ankle and my back danny i want you to shoot me how about your travel time 
because I know somebody that talks about their travel time. <laughs> Clayton likes talking about his travel time <laughs> and where he went, but he travels a lot. But, let, uh, let me ask you, what, what do you do when someone starts describing their physical ailments, when they start describing how they feel to you? I say, oh, you know what? Excuse me. I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk game predictions. Monday night football is mm. going to happen. Julio Jones and Matt, Matty Ice, Matt Ryan's coming into town. Steve Sarkeesian is coming back to Seattle as he is the offensive coordinator. Like you said earlier, I do like they had a, a get-right game that they won, yep. a get-right game, a game that they needed. And I believe that this game on Monday is very, very important for the Falcons but just as important for the Seahawks, even though the Seahawks right now are 6-3, and three, I do believe in order for the Seahawks to get that first round by, they need to win 11 games. That means they need to go 5-2 and two the next seven games. Danny, your thoughts, Monday Night Football. I think the loser of this game finds itself looking on the outside of the playoffs. I, I see a real. I think the loser of this game is going to have a really hard time making the playoffs. I think Seattle. All of the things where you look at the questions about the secondary and all of that, there are going to be some unanswered questions, and I do think Seattle is going to be challenged. I also think we're going to see the advantage of playing at night at home for the Seahawks team, and they've been. This has been one of the things. They're seven and zero on Monday Night Football under Pete Carroll. They excel at, at home, even though they're coming off a loss in their last home game. I really think Seattle's going to rise to the challenge of this game, and I think we're going to see the offense find a little bit more efficiency. I think Seattle's going to win it, and I think that we'll see Atlanta not wind up getting into the postseason. Yeah, if, if, if Atlanta loses, they're done because they've got that Super Bowl hangover thing going. You know, Clayton this week when we asked him, he said our, he didn't answer a certain question, true or false, you know, if they lose this game, whatever. And it was something about, uh, I think it was about secondary depth. I kind of agree with him on that. Like, we will see. This is a very pivotal game. So as far as predictions go, I don't know if I even want to give a prediction on this. I'll just say this. It's going to be a very tight game. And I agree with both of you guys that whoever's the loser is headed down and the, whoever's the winner is headed up. But yeah. the Seahawks really need this one. I'd be much more confident if they hadn't lost to the Washington Redskins at home because that was a team that should not have beat them there. But I look back at that, at that game and I go, look, there was two plays that beat them at the very end. 75 yards, it was a, what, two-minute drive or 30-second drive, whatever it was. But, you know, I, I think the Se- I'm going to bet on the Seahawks' depth. I'm going to bet on John Schneider and him going and getting Bradley McDougal trading for Justin Coleman, getting, you know, Jeremy Lane back, which was luck, I guess, a little bit, Jeremy Lane back in that, in that trade, and getting, acquiring uh, a guy like Deion Jordan at very low risk and Dwight Freeney. So I'm going to go with the Seahawks on this one in a tight game. I'm going to say something that I probably haven't said since he has been here from his rookie year. The team that has Russell Wilson as their quarterback wins on Monday night. Russell Wilson, somehow, someway, anytime there is even a shadow of a doubt, time that there's a possibility that Cam Chancellor's not going to play. We know Richard Sherman isn't going to play. Right now, Mike Davis is going to be coming up. So there's all kind of question marks. For some reason, every time that happens, Russell Wilson finds a way 
to lead his team to victory. And I'm banking on that. I'm banking on Russell Wilson. I'm banking on the Seahawks being at home. I'm banking on it being a primetime game. I'm banking on all of those factors right there being the reason why I think the Seahawks are going to be victorious on Monday night. They have no choice. And, Dave, I love the way you said it. The loser of this game is going down. The winner of this game is going up. And, Danny, I couldn't agree with you more. The loser of this game is just on the outside looking in. It's just tough sledding. Right now in the NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings are 7-2. They got a big lead. And the Detroit Lions are actually playing good, uh, good football. It's a good possibility that the wild card could possibly come from that division. And I, I'm saying this now, the Rams are real. I don't know what more they have to do to prove that. I'm sure glad that they're coming here. I'm sure glad the Eagles are coming here. And as we end this off, I'm sure glad that the Atlanta Falcons are going to be coming here for Monday Night Football. Well, guys, it's been fun. All right. It's been a Appreciate blast. Thanks, yeah, man. It has been. been. Big special thanks to our producer, C-Raj, Curtis Rogers, our engineers, John Metzler and Brenna Hutchinson, Jessica Kelly, and BZ, Brian Schoening, back up there on the ones and twos. I'm G. Scott, Dave Wyman, Danny O'Neill. You've been listening to Seahawks Weekly.